Luxembourg gives us a cavalcade of past Eurovision stars. Internal selections versus national finals. Who wins? And two witches in the Eurovision Song Contest? All that and more coming up on this week's episode of Eurovangelists. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Eurovangelist. I'm Jeremy Bent. I'm Oscar Montoya. And I am Dimitri Pompey. And welcome to the first, this is like the first live episode of Eurovangelist. It's the first yeah. one we haven't recorded weeks in advance. Yeah. <laughs> to record a pilot of a show, you got to record it and then you get some notes on it and try to make it as good as possible. And I think we did that, but now we're in national finals season. We're in it. We're in the nitty gritty of it all. Yeah. So we are recording this immediately after Ireland's Euro song and Luxembourg's national song contest have just happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got a lot of exciting results to dive into. But before we do all that, we would like to offer a big, big thank you to everyone who has been listening to Eurovangelist so far. We've been getting tons of great emails from people about the show, a lot of really nice comments on Instagram. And thank you so much because we've been working really hard on the show and it, it's so great to finally share it with people. Jeremy, I have to tell you, a friend of mine from high school that I've not talked to in 17 years sent me a message today. He's like, what is this Eurovision thing, you guys? You're always talking about. I'm always looking at your comments. And I'm like, hey, man, I got a podcast about this. He's like, I'm going to listen to this. His name is Corey Dietrich. I appreciate the support. Just like Thanks, Corey. I I promised I'd shout him out. He's a good dude. I used to hang out with that guy a lot. And his taste is clearly as good as it was back in the day. Yeah, you're putting him on the, the right path. Absolutely. For my part, my brother has watched both semis from last year. Oh, yes. He also sent me a link to Karia's It's Crazy, It's Party, his latest single, (laughs) and said, I might like this more than Cha Cha Cha. And I was like, the hooks are in. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's happening. This is everything I love. This is what the show is meant to do. We're spreading the Absolutely. word. Absolutely. So please tell your friends about the podcast. Continue listening and supporting Televangelists. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> don't don't support Televangelists. We do not support Televangelists. Eurovangelists. Yep. Yes, those you should say. support. Sorry, I have Portland brain right now because right now I'm in Portland uh, and it's getting all kinds of weird up in here. Oscar's doing this show remotely, uh, which we appreciate, but this is what happens. You confuse televangelists, evil, and Eurovangelists, <laughs> a force for good. So suffice it to say, thank you. But now it's time to talk about Eurovision, baby. Yes. We've been teasing this, I believe, since the pilot, which is the superior method for success at Eurovision? Is it internal selection, where countries pick a song for Eurovision uh, from applicants, or having a national final where they run through their own mini Eurovision, and then whoever wins that gets to go to Eurovision? Which is the more effective method? And our own Dimitri Pompey has run the numbers, and we have, I think, a pretty definitive answer. You have the numbers. I have the numbers. Now, let's specify here, because for all the data nerds out there, I want you to understand exactly what we're (laughs) talking about. This is data about how winning songs were chosen for Eurovision. We're talking only, only number one songs. Eurovision songs. Winning songs. 
And we're only talking about the way the song was chosen, not the way the artist was chosen, the way the mm, song was chosen. Big difference there. So with that said, now, Jeremy, here's a, a little pop quiz for you. Mm. I'm about the sentence. The first sentence I'm going to say is out of 70 wins. Jeremy, there have only been 67 Eurovision Song Contests. How do we get 70 wins? Do you know the answer? I think I actually do know the answer to this. I, I don't remember the exact year, but it's like it's one of the early ones, like 59 or 60. And there were three winners. There was a three way tie. Close, close. 1969. Oh, and there were four winners. Four. Oh, winners. oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Because well, no one had anticipated that there would ever be a tie. That's very short sighted is what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened twice. It didn't just happen in 1969. It happened in 1992 as well. But then there was a tiebreaker thing because they were like, we can't be doing this again. We can't have a chaotic. Eurovision. They had something in place. They're like, we were not having another tie. I'm so sorry, Oscar. But that happened in 1991. Boom. That's right. That's right. Why me? Linda Martin was 1992. <laughs> but the answer out of 70 wins, 53 songs that won Eurovision were chosen via national final okay so that's okay, well, that's a go. high percentage it is 75.7 percent okay so that's that to me sounds like a real argument for a national final and also dimitri how many national final eurovision winners have there been since like 1970 Oh, my God. Well, I didn't do that count. No, I know. But I, I looked at your spreadsheet. It's overwhelming. A lot of those na those internal selection winners are from the early years of the contest. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And so once you get into the sort of the modern Eurovision era, national finals have an even bigger advantage. Like 75 percent is already high. No, that's a good question. Like if we're doing from 1970, here are the internal selections who, who have won. 71. One. 83. Two. <laughs> 90, 3, 98, 4, 2003, 5, 2004, 6, 2014, 7, and 2019. 8. So that's 8 of 53? That's true. So there's a weird part of it where there are two national finals in that time that had winners where the artist was chosen via national final, but the song was selected internally. Interesting. But that was 2011 and 2018. The artist was went through a national final to be chosen, but the song was selected after they had chosen the artist through the final. Oh, that's interesting. That's an unusual way to do it. It is an unusual way to do it. It's bizarre. But it resulted in victory, so... Two wins occurred that way. Can't count it out entirely. What were the years again, Dimitri? 2011, Azerbaijan with oh, Ellie God. and Nikki running scared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a truly awful song that won a truly awful Eurovision. And unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about it sometime. And Toy, Netta, was... What? She had to go through a national final, but her song was selected internally. That's so weird. Interesting. Interesting. It's very unusual. Well, we'll link to Dimitri's doc so you can take a look at all the data yourself. But as Eurovangelist, the podcast itself, we come down pretty firmly along with the data on the side of if you want to win Eurovision, a national final is the way to go, which is great because that's what we're talking about this week. We got two great national finals to talk about Ireland's Euro song and Luxembourg's national song contest. But first, let's address a couple national finals that have already happened and a couple internal selections that have already happened just to chat about those songs real quick. Uh, we talked about Aiko and her song Pedestal from Czechia in Dimitri's Guide to National Finals because it had just happened. And I think it was at that point the only national final that was complete. That was correct. Yes. 
Heiko's performance in that national final was a little... It's okay. You can say bad. I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a matter of you got to do the best of what you have. And yeah. ESCZ, they, they don't spend a lot of money on it, and the acoustics weren't great in the, in the club. <laughs> I will say the Eurovision committee from Czechia immediately responded and was like, hey, you doubted us with We Are Domi and and with Vesna, which were their previous two ESCZ winners. They're like, we will get the job done. I believe they will. Well, they got four months to prepare this girl. I bet it's going to be pretty good. I bet she makes the final with that song. I could see that happen. You think so? I think mm, so, yeah. Interesting. If you got four months to prepare... Yeah, that's true. And we all did like the recorded version of it. It was yeah, not a bad song. The live performance was a little r- 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 rusty, <laughs> but it's but like, you know, if you, I feel good about her. Yeah, I, she's got a good attitude. And it's like if your attitude is like, I got four months to put in the work and you're not like, I'm good. I don't need to fix anything. Right. I think you probably will fix it. Perhaps we will be putting her on a pedestal oh. come May. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. There is another national file that occurred. It is Albania's Festivali Ikangas, which is shortened to FIC in the Eurovision community. And since it happens in December, we call it FICMIS. It's controversial in some ways because... Typically, the people who win the Albanian final are somewhat connected to the Albanian Mm, musical community. Interesting. It's a long final. I think there were 31 songs this year. It's a chaotic final with all sorts of weird rules. But we do have a winner. We do have a winner. Her name is Besa. And uh, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce her song. (laughs) I'll I'll give it a shot. Give it a whirl. Because you can hear her say it in the song. I believe it's something close to Zemran Ndore. That sounds very convincing. Listen, that's better than any one of us could have said. (laughs) Absolutely. You did great. And that's Albania's entry. Kind of a down-tempo pop number. A little bit of a departure for Albania. I'm going to tell you, don't get attached to it because every single year, Albania revamps their song after they win. Oh, really? You know, they're going to change it. They'll probably add more English to make it more accessible. Mm, Um, It's it's honestly a joke in the Eurovision community. It's like Albania always does this big announcement. We're going to revamp the song. We're all like, we know. All right. We'll hold judgment then until we hear the final version of the Albanian song. Right. Okay, and we've got two internal selections. The first, be I think, was the first song announced. The first for song announced. The first artist and song announced. It's from France, and I wonder if they're like, listen, we got the Olympics going on this year too. We got to get this out of the way. <laughs> Their plate is full. I do love it when France does a national final, but they just don't have the time this year. It is Mon Amour. Mon Amour. By uh, Sliman, I believe it is pronounced. But here's the thing. I hope everyone listening to this is sitting down. France is sending a romantic ballad to Europe. What? (laughs) (laughs) It's the same thing with Italy. When they send a romantic ballad by an incredibly charismatic singer, they typically do well. Mon amour, je ferai tout ce que je peux. Un océan dans le feu. Yeah, listen, if it ain't broke, do not fix it. Oscar, have you seen the video for this? Yeah, the music video reminds me of Evie Dotmont and the like lights. They love lights. Lights is a lot of lights. Well, Paris, 
City of Lights. There you go. <laughs> ah, uh-huh. see connection. Do you like the way he took Vassal's uh, sparkly vest from North Macedonia? Yeah. Oh, in yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> he was very much dressed in Italy's drag last year, <laughs> and this isn't by accident. I think this was to be like, hey, remember how we all love Due Vite? Well, here's the French version of it, and the song is a ballad, and he sings beautifully. This is going to be a beautiful. beautiful Will it win? Dot, dot, dot. But, you know, if they do well, it's like we stick with what works. Well, that, that's, that's the thing. Like Barbara Pravi from uh, 2021, she sang a song like this and she came in second. Was that Voila? That was yes, Voila. Voila. Yes. Voila is good. second like i think this is right on par with that song and i watched them on uh do a performance at the end of the year for france it was he was doing the song live for like new year's and honestly the emotion he has packed into this song yeah that's what's gonna bring him to the top he's He's gonna he's gonna sing the shit out of that song for sure absolutely and we've got another internal selection in addition to slimans mon amour we have raven from slovenia with her song veronica Man, this mm-hmm. one, this one is heavy. It's pretty dark. And you've watched the video, I said. I've watched the video. The song itself is based off of a famous piece of Slovenian slash Croatian lore. Uh, it's about a queen. She was lower class and the prince who loved her had her elevated to be his wife. And the oh. king did not care for that. So he had his son arrested and he had Veronica, the eponymous Veronica, tried as a witch. Ah, okay. Yeah. Tried as a witch. She no beat way. the charges. And yet the king still had her killed. So in this part of Europe, she's become a symbol of like femininity and like strong feminism. And that is definitely coming through on this song. Oh my God. Okay, see, I didn't know. Yeah, that adds a lot to that song. And she does say Veronica in the song. And I'm like, who the hell? Like, you know, who the hell is Edgar? Who the hell is Veronica? (laughs) And specifically, she's saying, I am Veronica. You are Veronica. So if you are, you know, a person who can identify at all with the story of Veronica, like, it becomes immediately more powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm. I'm a big fan of this one. I I think this one stands a great chance. I got to say this right now. I'm very curious because something that happens when a winner wins Eurovision the next year you see a lot of like their clones like copycats yeah these are the little floodgates that Lorene has opened for us Mm -hmm. there's a couple of witches that I predict will be coming out of Eurovision in 2024 and this is the first example dark witchy you know what I mean very severe and you know we got another witch who just won their national finals in a very different way absolutely but I'm I'm guessing 2024 is going to be the year of the witch Mm. and this witch is very it's giving the vich (laughs) v-v-i-t-c-h the vivich as we call it well we will hear all about these other witches coming up in just a moment we're going to take a little break and then we'll be right back boo you got me i'm jordan cruciola host of feeling seen where we start by asking our guests just one question what movie character made you feel seen i knew exactly what it was clementine 
from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joy Wang slash Jobu Tupaki. That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy Flick in the film Election. So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Eurovangelist. Now, we promised witches, and we're going to deliver on that. Uh, let's start <laughs> with Ireland's Euro song, uh, which took place Friday, January 26th. On, of course, The Late Late Show with Patrick Keelty. <laughs> he was charming, he's, right? He's all right, yeah. We liked him. He was fine. He was leagues ahead of the previous Late Late Show host, who he replaced just this year. Ah. The man hosted with all of the passion and enthusiasm of a North Korean hostage doing a confession video. <laughs> Now, Dimitri, you had sort of mentioned that in previous years, Eurosong is kind of a low rent affair. And I was like, oops, well, I haven't seen Eurosong before. Let me watch. And watching it, I was like, OK, I I sort of see what he means. <laughs> I tricked myself because the song selection was better than it's been in many years. I was going to say we had some songs I liked in this in this final. You did? <laughs> And then I heard the Irish delegation saying, like, in 2025, we might actually do, like, a proper national final. So I was like, hey, maybe this is, like, going to be, like, a test run. Maybe they're going to try. Maybe they're going to put some mm. effort in this. No. If you can make Kalush Orchestra sound bad, your national final is not set for prime time. Yeah. I'm, I'm always happy to see Kalush, but it's a very small stage. They made the really baffling decision, I assume because of cameras, to have no audience in front of the stage? Yeah. That's weird. It's mic'd for a talk show. It's not mic'd yeah. for a music show. So everyone sounded terrible, and mm -hmm. some people hurt them, and, and it wasn't deserved, and some of them, you know, the truth was borne out. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. I think that was the biggest takeaway from all of the numbers. Whether or not the beat was good or the song itself was good, we immediately recognized that the vocal quality did not sound good on the mic. No, it, was some, it really did Something was missing from the mic performance. And that's a real shame because these songs could have been okay. But for me, I was just like, oh my God, why do they sound terrible? Yeah, and especially a song like Jay Yellow L's Judas, where he brought in exactly. like a singer to really like crush the hook of his song. And that's literally the example I was going to use, Jeremy. Like, unfortunately, she was like off the rhythm. Like I could tell yeah. she couldn't hear her vocals mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. the mic. It was, it just sucked. And to me, that was one of the better songs in the in the contest. And it just didn't. Yeah, I, I like that song. I feel like it really could have been something, but the venue really fucked it up for them. Yeah, I think so. If you can hear me now, you never wear my crown. You're not going to hold me. You're not going to hold me. So let's talk about the winner. Do you think, was that your favorite to win or did you have a favorite out of all the competitors? Well, see, if you listen to our national finals guide, you know, Dimitri was a, he was a Gotobin guy all the way. 
And yeah. I, 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 I was right up until the first three seconds of the song. Uh, <laughs> it, look, you know, here's the stark truth about being a fan of Eurovision who watches national finals. There are hundreds of songs that are competing for essentially 26 or 25 spots. And if San Marino's involved that year, then it can be thousands of songs. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those songs, you're going to hear the studio version. You're going to get really invested. Like, this yeah. is it. This is going to be the one. You have to remember that that song has to be performed live. And there are some songs, and it just seems like they don't think about the fact that you're going to have to perform that live. And mm. as I always say, the number one rule of being a good, successful Eurovision participant is to pick a song you can sing live. And it just feels like I loved Gotemad. Elsha did it. She did a great job writing it. She had the passion. Like she clearly understands what Eurovision is about. And she made a very interesting choice to <laughs> change the way she sang the song from the studio version, which I thought hey. was incredible. The live version. It was very hyper poppy. Like it yeah. sounded almost like there was a filter on her. But then I was like, no, I think that's just her. She's singing it in a really high register. I don't know why she thought that was the way to go. I know because the studio version is great. Yeah. And she chose to sing it with this. Like the whole song is about, you know, we as an Irish people are losing our ability to speak our native language. There's only a couple phrases that we actually know. We can count to eight. We can say, I need to go to the bathroom, but we don't have the real fluidity of our language anymore. Yeah. And there's a phrase in there that I thought was exceptionally powerful that translates roughly to broken irish is better than clever english which is mm. an amazing set it's an old irish mantra folk like supposed to inspire that national pride and i was like this is gonna be the one because it has a message it sounds fantastic it's different from everything else and that one choice to sing it in this kind of twee kind of weird yeah. off broadway-ish way it sank <laughs> it really did what bro what off broadway shows are you going to see <laughs> Yeah, what the, Matilda? <laughs> I, I got a lot of friends in New York on the, the Matilda cast, all right? They're doing great. <laughs> okay, all right. Listen, what I'll say, a lot of the panel, Sonia included, which I think was so weird that she was there and that they showed the clip of her losing to Ireland? What was that about? For the people who don't know, Sonia competed for the United Kingdom in 1993. And the United Kingdom and Ireland were at, very, you know, very... Very contentious in Eurovision and in real life. And in real life, you might find. So with Eurovision taking place in Ireland, it was kind of contentious to see, you know, who was going to win because they were both powerhouses at the time. And Sonia came in sec second place in Ireland. And the camera shot, it's a legendary piece of Eurovision lore. Yeah, that. I think and her being a judge is actually part of the Good Friday Agreement. 
Bono really fought hard to get her to yeah. show up. Sonia did perform at the Eurovision finals in 2023. She did. With the song, you know. She's from Liverpool, so that was great oh, to see her out. there. So your song, Ireland, has a non-judging panel, people who have influence in the Eurovision world, to sit there, listen to the songs, and then judge them after they're done. And they can't vote, but they can give insight. Like, oh yeah, we really like that one. Usually the Eurosong Ireland panel is overly complimentary. I remember one year there was this disastrous performance and the panel pretty much agreed with this one panelist who said, oh man, you're gonna be the next Adele. <laughs> well, they did not hold back this year. Some of the that, stuff was that kind was of not uh, the case this year. Mm-hmm. They were about as polite as they could be to "Love Like Us." Was that the song? Yes, from Next in Line. Uh, more like Last in Line. <laughs> oh, the boy band. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, I felt bad for them. But what I was gonna say is, weren't they so focused with like, in order for us to win Eurovision, we have to do something different something we've never done before they shat on a couple of uh, competitors because it sounded too similar she looks like chanel from you know from spain yeah, no yeah. we don't want that so like boy did we get something different with the winner we of the certainly did. finals so ireland's euro song winner for 2024 was bambi thug with their song doomsday blue and if you wanted different boy bambi thug had it for you <laughs> How would you describe this song for people who haven't heard the song? Well, Bambi Thug themselves describes it as Ouija pop, uh, <laughs> which is not a phrase I've ever heard before, nor does it describe music particularly well. <laughs> <laughs> but Bambi has been very successful in Ireland. They're a very successful artist who has done it themselves. They have not had the backing of a label or any major support. It's all been in-house gorilla style and they're filling up stadiums baby's doing the work what i'll say about doomsday blue is i don't dislike the song oh i disagree i i really did not like the oh song really okay i was very confused by it I mean, it's a lot of different stuff in one song. Yes. And maybe that's what they want. I don't well, know. it's like, that's a complaint I've leveled about Eurovision songs in the past. But to me, it's like part of the aesthetic of this is that it like shifts genre very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And I think because they're doing it so intentionally, it, it, I don't know, it feels like it works. But I'll say the stage performance of this song is like. This is like the hot topic open mic. Like, what that is part. going on here? <laughs> that part, that part, that part. And, you know, back to the, you know, the second witch that got into the Eurovision Song Contest. So this is the other witch, except they're a hot topic witch. They've seen the movie The Craft. <laughs> Maybe too many times. Yeah, and was fully doing it, you know. Raven spells witch with two Vs, while they spell witch like witch, but with a heart. With, with a end. heart over the eye, yeah. Exactly, exactly. It was truly incredible because love the performance or hate the performance you cannot stop looking at the performance yeah true in the years past that's been the problem when ireland shows up i look at my phone or i leave Oops. the room in ireland's defense this song almost certainly will get to the final on strangeness alone i Possibly. agree yes you're Possibly. right i don't know how it's going to do once it gets to the final mm. I have a very hard time envisioning this in like the top five. Yes. 
Unless, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Unless they tear it up, unless they break it apart, unless they give us some completely different staging. Yeah, if they have a really crazy staging for it, I could see it doing like top 10. But it's just such a strange song that I don't think we're going to see it play super duper high. I think this shares more in common with France 2022 than it does with, let's say, Caria. Remind France 2022. That was Fulin. Oh, yeah. Remember how everyone was all hyped about that? Like, oh, it's a weird forest witch, green flame. This one's going to go crazy. Everyone was all excited about the song, and it came in 24th. Not great. <laughs> and I don't think that if France wasn't one of the big five, I sincerely doubt that it would have gotten to the I don't know that it would have gotten to the final at all. Yeah. So, look, different can yeah. be good. Different can be bad. We're going to see now that Bambi has the backing of the nation. It's going to depend on how much Ireland wants to spend. Right. But with a mo- with right. a solid budget and with the actual support of their ideas, Bambi can do very well. The hometown crowd was definitely a Bambi thug crowd. <laughs> what was the phrase of the night? Send the witch. Send the witch. <laughs> the commentators would just be talking normally about like something completely different. You just hear some guy go, send, send the, the witch. witch. <laughs> and you're like, cool. I actually love that as like a catchphrase. Send I'm a the big witch. Fan. Send the witch. And they done sent that witch. The witch they sent. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I will say, though, it's so interesting already we're seeing the different strategies countries are taking uh, about sending their person to Eurovision. We have Ireland who's like, we need to send someone different at all costs. Yeah. It cannot be the same band we sent last year for the love of God. Meanwhile, France is like, you know what, babes? Keep it ballad. We're not changing a single thing. We're just going to do classic ballad with a charismatic lead. And that's it. That works for us. So it's just interesting to see what does well. And then Slovenia is like, let's do a tattoo. Let's do us a tattoo. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's a good point. And in Ireland's defense, they have been very bad at making it to the grand final for like the last like 10 years in a row. So like. Yeah, I think they're actually right. They need something that gets to the grand final before they can even talk about winning Eurovision again. Fair point. But Jeremy, can you tell me, and Dimitri, Dimitri and Jeremy, can you tell me what is Ireland's musical identity Mm. based on Eurovision? Like, obviously, they have a very different identity. Like the identity that won them all those 80s, 90s wins, I don't think plays now. No, it doesn't. Through the 90s, their identity was new age. Remember Yanni? It's like new agey <laughs> yes. Yanni stuff or romantic ballads. Through the 80s, it was romantic ballads. And Bambi Thug is kind of both of those when you think about it. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that they're every year they keep changing it up. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas we talk about Albania, that's a consistent sound. We yeah, talk about that has an identity. Yeah. Sound. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's just interesting. I'm just very curious to see what Bambi Thug what what they're going to do and where they're going to place in this year's uh, Eurovision Song Contest. Excellent question. Well, why don't we move from a country that's still figuring out their identity over the past few years to a country that has to create a brand new identity for the first time in 31 years? Ooh, baby. We're talking Luxembourg's National Song Contest, their first time back since, was it 1993? 93. Mm-hmm. I got to say, they came back 
big. This was an amazing national final. A great national and final. The the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg clearly opened up the coffers for this one because this was on par with a first semi of Melfest level of performance, production, guests, interval acts. They had it going on. This was incredible. Yeah, some money was being spent in here. You had a lot of really cool classic Eurovision guest artists. All of their entrants looked really polished. I'll tell you what I very much appreciate about this final. Without overdoing it, they showed a lot of respect to the acts that have come before. The people that have laid the groundwork for both Luxembourg and this contest. There are so many instances when people are doing, you know, interval acts, they'll bring back someone from like 2009. And I'm like, wow, look at this old act. It's like, there's so much more contest that you've just never done or not showing any respect to. The fact that you get me and Marie David, you get me Vicky Leandros, and all of the competitors do an amazing tribute to Franz Gall, Luxembourg luminaries in the contest. This was beautiful exceptionally well done. That's not to say that some parts weren't absolutely hair-pullingly frustrating. (laughs) It would be a national final without a little chaos. It's their first time back. It's not going to be a perfect process. I mean, listen, it was a great show and the production value and the show itself was fantastic. My issue was one song was incredible in the final three. The other two, I was like, what is going on? One in particular, I was like, y'all are, what, what the hell? Did you pick this one as one of your top three (laughs) crazy absolutely unhinged all right oscar you gotta you gotta spill that tea who did you hate in the top three can you guess my guess is that you were not crazy about oh geez i don't have the names in front of me how did that looks gang (laughs) this is not my contribution to the show (laughs) you're looking for joel his name is joel joel yes believer yeah you're not a believer in Joel Marquez? Please tell me that I'm not the only one. Please no. tell me that you all agree with no. me. No, I didn't like that song at all. Of that top three, I was like, Tali's Fighter? Yes, absolutely. Yes, oh, 100%. Creek's Drowning in the Rain? Yes, 100%. Sure, absolutely. Sure, fine, yeah. And then Believer, I was like, what is what? What is this doing? <laughs> Even Joel was shocked. Yeah, he His seemed a little surprised. His hit the floor so hard that he was like, "But I'm trash." Yeah, he's like, <laughs> "I don't." That doesn't make sense. You're not going to pick Naomi? I know. Seems weird. <laughs> there are only eight acts, but I would say of the eight, I really enjoyed six. That's a pretty good odds, though. That's a you know? good, that's a great track record. That's pretty solid, especially for someone who has. They call it ring rust in the wrestling world. They haven't been involved sure, for a yeah. while. Like, mm. do I still know how to do this? Clearly, the answer is yes. Yeah, they cl- they brought some good songs. They did, and a variety of songs too. Good point. You had almost every genre represented, and it was so cool. Something that I said in the last episode where we were talking about this was that I was worried that we were going to get standards. Overly mm-hmm. tricky ballads, which is, you know, that's how they won. The last year Luxembourg winner was from 1983, and it was like Webster defines power ballad as the song. <laughs> this one, including the winner, it's like, whoa, they've evolved, they've changed, yeah. they've listened, they've reacted. I was very impressed with all of the entry. Well, most of the most entries. Of the entries. <laughs> Good for Luxembourg. They clearly were like, well, hey, it's a different contest now. We're going to mm-hmm. trust the musicians who are submitting to this contest. 
And it's like, yeah, they picked some good songs that I think play in a modern Eurovision and they had some really good performances. Well, I'll tell you, mm-hmm. the, secret, the secret is while they praised the past, they didn't rely on it. Yeah, let's they're go, not beholden talk, to it. Good point. Let's talk about Crick as an example. Yeah. But I'll find a time to Crick's song, Drowning in the Rain, was written by a two-time competitor in the Norwegian Melody Grand Prix. Mm. Uh, her name is Elsie Bay, and if you listen to her song from last year and then listen to Crick's song, Drowning in the Rain, back-to-back, you're like, oh, clearly this was written by the same person. Why do we do this? Why not give in to it? Elsie has never won Melody Grand Prix, but she's come very close on two occasions. She competed in 22 and in 23. This time she decided to be a songwriter, so she could actually break through to Eurovision, which she did not. Hmm. But she was close. She's placing so well. I think that within five years, maybe even three years, if Elsie Bay wants to, she can get either herself or a song to Eurovision. And Crick's team wisely chose to go with a song by Elsie because they know she's the future of this contest. Because clearly she knows what Eurovision wants. Yeah, she's got the goods, clearly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we've talked a little bit about Crick, Drowning in the Rain. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Believer by Joel Marquez. But let's talk about the winner, <laughs> Tali, with her song Fighter. Do we like? I'm a big fan. I liked this song listening to it before the competition, and I think her performance at Luxembourg's National Song Contest kind of put me, I was like, that's my number one, based on the performances. I agree. Oh, exactly. Ditto to everything you said, Jeremy. I was like, yeah. this song's cute. That's yeah, good. But watching it being performed, oh, I was like, oh, 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 this is this is special. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is special. And I am so excited for her. Even having her like pre-interview moment, I was like, oh, I like her. It seems like a good head on her shoulders. I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of the song. I'm a huge fan of her. The fact that this is Luxembourg's song feels great. I predict. Now, I'm not a vivitch or a witch with a heart at the, on top of the eye, but I predict this song's going to do pretty well in 2024. I'm inclined to agree. This feels top 10 to me. I only have one concern for Tali. I wonder if she has the dexterity to make it Eurovision because she dropped the trophy as soon as they <laughs> gave it to her. Oh, my God. <laughs> she fell, fell apart. Okay, so you know the top of Luxembourg's list next year. It's like, what can we fix next year? Make that trophy sturdier. <laughs> Listen, but Dimitri, I, I will say there have been winners who have dropped and broken the trophy before. That's oh, right. No. This is a grand Eurovision tradition. I think the one that comes to mind immediately, Oscar, you remember in 1999 when Donna International was handing of the trophy to, to Charlotte and she fell <laughs> And she oh, tripped with no. the trophy. She yes. tripped with the trophy and fell. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, we're going to link that in the show notes. That's wild. It's amazing. It's every time someone drops the trophy at Eurovision, I have a great time. Wait, Dimitri, you might. Who's the one who like cracked it? 
Oh, like split gosh. it in half. Oh, I can't remember who it was though. I I can see it in my head though. I can't remember what year it was or who it was. Yeah, we need to find that clip because that's another one. Amazing that there's multiple clips of people busting <laughs> the Eurovision trophy. Oh yeah. So I think we all agree. Like Luxembourg really came to play, and that's mm-hmm. awesome. Like I'm so glad if they're gonna come back, it's like let's come back for real, and they did. This is how you come back. We gotta talk interval acts. Yes, we do. Because Luxembourg. They gave us a show, man. This was a phenomenal, phenomenal final because not only the songs were good, the presentation was good, but they, their interlacts were incredible. They gave me my homie. They gave my homie <laughs> Alexander Reebok. They I gave know. me Katrina of Katrina and the Waves. They Waveless. gave me Vicky. They gave me Anne-Marie David. Oh, it was great. They gave you Vicky with Alexander Reebok. Yes, doing uh, L'Amore Blue. Oh That's my true. God. was so good eurovision standards being performed the way they should be with the respect and the reverence and the production that they deserve what a great show yeah if you're a eurovision head and even if you're new to eurovision it's like hey here's some of the great history of this song contest and i think they did a terrific job of showcasing like you don't really even have to know the past eurovisions but like once you hear these songs you're like oh yeah that's a good song i bet that did win that's eurovision true. we also saw ruslana perform right that's right ruslana was there and she looked in they all they all looked incredible why did everyone look incredible yeah everyone's looking good clearly winning eurovision is good for your youth yeah i guess so <laughs> yeah, it's it's you young because alexander reebok looks younger now than he did when he won the damn thing yeah alexander reebok looked strangely old when he won eurovision and now he looks weirdly young <laughs> okay okay benjamin button I see you. <laughs> you know, they gave us a parade of past eurovision winners and everyone was allowed to perform at their peak at their optimum ability it was just fantastic Yeah, it really seemed like everyone was having a very good time. And we got a bunch of really great songs all right in a row. Like, what a treat. And we got all the contestants singing Waterloo, too, which was very fun. Sure, yeah. Why not, right? It's like, we're going to Malma this year. Let's get everyone in the ABBA mood. They countered one of my big complaints whenever someone wants to celebrate Sweden. They always play Waterloo. I'm like, there are so many great Swedish winners. Why don't they ever play any other songs that have won for Sweden? And then Charlotte Pirelli got up there and did Take Me to Your Heaven, winner of 1999. And I was like, I have officially been shut up. Yeah, it's like we're not gonna cover it. We'll we'll give you the original, baby. We'll give you That's we'll give true. you Charlotte. Luxembourg gave me a big heaping slice of shut the fuck up pie, and I <laughs> loved every second of it. Oh yeah, y- y'all didn't hear how it was introduced. They said this is for you, Dimitri Popov. <laughs> <laughs> now stop complaining. <laughs> Just based on this, I think Tali's gonna do well in Eurovision, and I'm also like kind of pumped to watch Luxembourg National Song Contest next year. I'm very excited because given that the Grand Duchy put this much money into their national final, I can only imagine how much mm-hmm. they're going to give Tolly for the performance. Yeah, the staging she's gonna... is going to be incredible. Absolutely. Let me ask you one question before we cut off here. I like to ask this question after we get a bunch of finalists selected for Eurovision. And my question is, given what we have, given what we've seen, given what we've heard, have we heard the winning song yet? Oh, good question. 
I think currently no. Ooh. It's fairly early, and none of these songs to me yet have that real like, ooh, that's a winner, you know? Mm. Oscar? Uh, No, no, we haven't heard the winning song. We heard a song that will be in the top five, but no, we haven't heard the winning song. Yeah. Okay. I'm inclined to agree. What if I said we heard the winning song and it's Ireland? What, what, like, what would happen? No. Possible. <laughs> Technically. Send the witch. Send the witch. <laughs> send the witch. Well, we're going to send ourselves to a little break and we'll see you in just a little bit. Boo. Oscar, you have got to stop scaring me. Oh my gosh. Hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games like one where I describe a show using a limerick and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game and brilliant guests who come play you. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave. So try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes. Troubled Waters is the answer. To this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Welcome back to Eurovangelist, everybody. I hope you enjoyed Ireland's Euro song, and I hope you enjoyed Luxembourg's National Song Contest even more as it was a bit of a bigger production. It was actually good. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. So I think it's time we answer some listener questions. And normally this would be called a mailbag. But here on Eurovangelist, welcome to the postcards. <gasps> Yay. I know we haven't been a show for that long, but we've already got some great questions from listeners to our Gmail account. That's Eurovangelist at gmail.com. Feel free to send us one and you could be in a future episode. And so let's dive in. This is actually a few questions, but they're all kind of related. Uh, these are from our listener, Kat. She asks us, for a contest that seems to be about music, why is Eurovision called Eurovision rather than Eurosong, like in that one Father Ted episode? If people are not familiar with Father Ted, it is an Irish sitcom, so I'm not surprised they call it Eurosong, as that is what the national final is called in Ireland. I assume Eurovision's name is derived from television? Yes, the Eurovision is not just the song contest. Eurovision, right. in the technical sense, is the EBU's whole programming of mm. television, radio, internet shows now. There's a section of the EBU website that's called Eurovision Sports. This is just oh, like really? sports okay. wow. programming that is broadcast all over Europe. So that's why it's the Eurovision Song Contest. Absolutely. European Television Song Contest. Yes, exactly. Eurovision Song Contest, Eurovision. Now, where that does right. get confusing because some countries back, especially in the 60s and 70s, you know, if it was held in France, they would say, we're hosting Eurosong. And it's like they meant Eurovision, but they were just shortening Eurovision Song, song Contest, contest to Eurosong. Ah, I see. Okay. And it gets more confusing because some people call their national final Eurosong. Right, Ireland sure. does it mm -hmm. and Belgium does it. So it's very it can be a little confusing, but that's why. Like European politics itself, it can be a little confusing. <laughs> it can be a little confusing. <laughs> in the modern era here, it's it generally we refer to it as Eurovision or ESC for Eurovision Song Contest. But now Kat has a few questions. These are separate questions, but I'm just going to ask them all together. Has the performance part always been just in, as important in the as the music? If not, when did it start being so important? And then she sort of talks about like, has it always been such a spectacle? If not, like, well, how did it get there? And how much does the spectacle of the performance play into the score? 
Oscar, I'm going to let you handle the last two questions about the spectacle. Yes. I think that you would agree with me when I say that the performance became as important as music in 1965 when Franz Gall mm-hmm. showed up. Yes. We need to do an entire episode about Franz Gall and the impact that she's had on the Eurovision Song Contest. All right. Put it on the list. Oh, she changed the contest entirely. We wouldn't have the Eurovision of today without Franz mm-hmm. Gall. The short version is Eurovision used to be very operatic, lots of ballads, you know, people right. wearing their tuxes and tails. And then Franz Gall understood that we're in the middle of Beatlemania here. This contest needs to adapt or die. So uh, she does a Coupe de Save, Coupe de Sang, which is a very modern, for that time, very modern pop ballad. It was very cool. People were like, wait, 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 wait. Eurovision can be cool? <laughs> well, wait, Eurovision can be about like the young crowd and A record completely- scratch. Yeah, seriously. Oh, that's interesting. And it wasn't just the song. The way she comes out, what mm-hmm. she's wearing, the way she's done her makeup. There are t-shirts of Franz Gall that are almost as ubiquitous as those Che Guevara t-shirts. That's just the mm. image of her looking over the crowd as she's singing the song. Yeah. Because the style had changed irrevocably. Interesting. That's when I believe the performance became as important as the music. I agree. I'll add that there's a second layer to that, which is, of course, 1974, when ABBA showed up and really blew it up even more. It was like a Pokemon evolution. So this is kind of the spectacle we're talking about now. Yes, 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 yes. Franz Gall showed up and was just like, oh my gosh, it could be like all kinds of music and it doesn't have to be a specific type. But then ABBA showed up and it's like, oh yeah, it it could be fun and silly and stupid and campy. And like a conductor can show up in a Napoleon uh, costume <laughs> conducting the orchestra, you know? And people were just blown away by that. And that is why, you know, ABBA... And Sweden invented music, but really they invented <laughs> spectacle, you know? They certainly, certainly contributed a lot to the modern Eurovision. Yes, exactly. And that is the modern, from 1974 on, that's sort of like the new modern Eurovision, where it's like, oh, the song is important, and also the way you perform it is important as well. That's why I really am excited anytime Sweden wins, because even though it might not be my favorite song, every time they host, something amazing mm-hmm. comes from that. Like iconic even. I want to check this source, but I believe it was a Sweden-hosted Eurovision that gave us the iconic flag parade that we almost can't imagine not being part Mm, of Eurovision. Interesting. And also, it was in Sweden where we got the iconic Peace, Peace, Love, Love, which is a song that they created Oh, yeah. As a sort of like making fun of perform- Eurovision performances of the past. Peace, Peace, Love, Love, I have seen and is very funny, even for somebody who's only seen a couple Eurovisions. It's technically Love, Love, Peace, Peace. Oh, my gosh. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Strike it from the record. Keep that in for me because, you know, even masters make mistakes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
as for how much the spectacle plays into the score, there's no dedicated category for the performance. But I think we can all agree that like modern Eurovision scores are a combination of like how good is the song writing? How good is the song performance? And then like, what'd you do with it? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Great questions, Kat. Thanks for sending them. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, Kat. We also have another sort of combo question from our listener, Marissa. Marissa asks, why don't countries send their biggest slash most famous acts? Or do they in some countries? Is there a rule against it? Like how professional athletes used to be banned from competing in the Olympics? Or are the acts too cool for it? Or are the countries afraid they lose? This is an excellent question, Marissa. I'm a big fan of this question because there are so many different answers that all kind of are valid. And she kind of named a couple of them. Exactly. Exactly. There are some cases. There was a time, not until Sand Ryder, honestly, that the UK would ask bigger acts to do it. And they would say, no, if I go to Eurovision, my career is over. Mm-hmm. Because it became that self-fulfilling prophecy. They would bring a song that was terrible. They would do terrible. And then they would never be heard from again. So they're like, I don't want to go to Eurovision because then I'm going to ruin my career. This is a great point because Marissa brought up in her email. She's like, why doesn't the UK just like send Adele? Yeah, Exactly. That's a great point. But I think Adele is probably like, oh, I don't want to go to Eurovision and blow it. Look what happened to Bonnie Tyler and, and uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it didn't work. Oh, it didn't work. Gosh. They, they both went to Eurovision? Yeah, and they yes. both did exceptionally poorly. Oh, They did no. really bad. Ugh. There are some countries where you are sending your top act. I mean, look at Karia. He dominated Finland last year, and he spent a lot of time building up his fame in Finland. The Rasmus from, that Finland sent in 2022, they are one of the most famous bands over the course of decades in that part of Europe. It's self-governing in a way. You can be famous... But you can't be too famous. If you're too famous, you get rejected. It's almost like Eurovision fans and Eurovision nations know what the limit is. I mean, again, we keep for some reason, San Marino has become the punching bag of the show, which I'm fine <laughs> yeah. with. Apologies, uh, San Marino. Yeah, I'm so, I love you so that. much. But when Cindy brought Flowrider, everyone's like, no, he's famous. Yeah, we don't want him. I think, honestly, the line is if you are internationally famous, it is probably a mistake for you to go to Eurovision. See, even that's not true because there's some acts who are famous famous in different countries of Europe. Mm. I would say perhaps we can correct it intercontinentally famous. Okay, that's maybe, yeah. It's like if people know you on the other side of the Atlantic, Mm -hmm. probably you're too big. If you're famous in America, you're not going to do well. (laughs) Yeah. And and like, is that... fair it's like i don't know i think the sensibility for eurovision is just a little different than like traditional pop radio listen it's not like they're not allowed to compete they are very much welcome to if if adele is like you know what i'm bored i'm not touring right now i'm not (laughs) making millions of dollars being on tour i'm just gonna go compete in this little song contest is she gonna get much out of it i don't think so compared to someone who's like up and coming and like pretty hungry for like international recognition you know it is just about like okay well what what are you getting out of the experience yeah uh, marissa this is also an excellent point is that like winning eurovision or even just doing well in eurovision is frequently a career maker for a lot of like european artists and Mm -hmm. so if you're already like uh, an act like Adele who is internationally known you're not going to get that much out of it like you'll get another probably hit single but like you probably could have just gotten the hit single just by releasing another song. 
Yeah. Right. So like, why not just do that instead of like potentially losing and embarrassing yourself? Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that getting ready for Eurovision is hard. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. getting the winning your national final or getting that internal selection that might be the easy part because after that you got to do the pre-parties you got to do the interviews you have to deal with your semi-final draw you have to deal with your placement you have to deal with the various rules of being on your six people three minutes like it can be constraining and you know pointing to our most recent eurovision winner Lorene, sure she won 10 years ago but tried to come back to eurovision and couldn't do it and then try it again and got back in and it's like it's just not a guarantee And I think most artists probably just don't want to deal with the hassle if they're already successful. Exactly. I think that's a very good point. But Marissa, great question. Thanks for sending that in. Thanks, Marissa. If you've got questions for us at Eurovangelists, send them. Eurovangelists at gmail.com. We will happily answer them on air. We would love to do it. It also helped. Reviews help both on Spotify and on the Apple Store. You know, they really do make a difference for a little little show like ours. So if you're so inclined, we would very much appreciate it. And we'll return the favor by reading a nice review on the podcast. Well, I think that's all we got time for this week. But the great news is we got so many national finals to talk about <laughs> next week. Ooh, baby. I don't know how we're going to fit all these in, to be perfectly honest. three I would say three of them are three of the big, biggest yeah. contests. We're talking Ukraine's Vidbir. Yes. We're talking Norway's Melody Grand Prix or MGP. Uh, Dimitri's already got a whole segment planned for Melody Grand Prix. We've got Malta's MESC, Malta Eurovision Song Contest. And then a Dimitri fave, Spain's Benidorm Fest. Three days of magic. So, yeah, next week's it's going to be a busy week, but it's also probably going to be full of some really great songs and probably some really spectacular failures. I can't wait. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I cannot wait how many witches are going to get through (laughs) in next week's contest. Which count for this week is two. What will it yeah, be next week? They- I don't know. I've, I already don't want to jinx them because clearly I jinxed Elsha when I when I promoted her last week. Uh-oh. Careful, Dimitri. Norway very well may send a witch. So <laughs> okay. Right. We'll see. We'll see who's sending a witch next week. In the meantime, check out the Eurovangelist Spotify account for the companion playlist to this episode. All the songs we talk about, we'll put them in a Spotify playlist for you so you can listen to them. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Boo! Ah! Every time. (laughs) This has been Eurovangelists, your guide to the Eurovision Song Contest. Your hosts have been myself, Jeremy Bent, Oscar Montoya, and Dimitri Pompey. Our theme was arranged and recorded by Cody McCory and Faye Fatum, and the Eurovangelist logo was designed by Tom Deha. Production support for this show was provided by the Maximum Fun Network, in particular Stacey Molsky and Laura Swisher. We call her the Swish. Eurovangelist is edited by myself with audio mixing help courtesy of the sound wizard himself, Shane O'Connell. You can find us on social media as at Eurovangelist on Twitter and Instagram or send us an email at Eurovangelist at gmail.com. Also follow the Eurovangelist account on Spotify and check out our playlist of Eurovision hits, competitors in upcoming national finals, and companion playlists to every single episode, including this one. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.